Hi, everybody. I'm Mike Hancock, the chairman of the Global Global. <laughs> this is a global intelligence update. I'm the chairman of the Circle of Excellence Group, and I am here live uh, in a very quirky place that I'm staying with Rainer Patek uh, from Germany. And Rainer's uh, been in South Africa now for the last few days. Welcome, Rainer. Hi, Mike. Hi, all. Great being here together and great uh, to, do, uh, to have this session together this morning. Absolutely. So for just to give you a little bit of background on, on Rainer is that uh, he uh, started his career really as an extreme mountain climber. So uh, if you've ever seen anybody hang backwards off the Matterhorn or something like that, that'll be this guy here. And uh, he really took the experience of being an extreme mountain climber and brought it along with his business degrees into organizational development and organizational design. And these days he consults all over the world, hence him being in South Africa at the moment, uh, with corporations to redevelop strategy, to bring their senior leadership teams together with the right goals, et cetera, et cetera. So today we're going to have a fascinating session because I want to dig into um, a couple of things that you do, and we're going to throw it around. And as I said, there'll be plenty of times for questions because like many of you, Rainer is also somebody who prior to COVID was um, traveling the world, keynote speaking, um, running workshops and trainings and consultancies, and of course, all of that shut down. But to kick off, 1984, um, this is part of your keynote and you were climbing and you got to a point in the climb with your friend where you realized that you couldn't go forward and you couldn't really go backwards. Just tell us a little bit about where you were and what was going on in your mind at the time what was the mountain? How tall was it, etc.? So I think, Mike, you are addressing uh, the situation in the bedroom of the Le Chauhat, uh, when we decided to climb uh, or at least try to do the north face of the Grand Jorasse in the Mont Blanc range in Europe. So this is one of the biggest challenges for climbers and uh, no climbing team had managed to make the route in that summer 1984 due to very bad conditions, uh, which means for climbers a lot of ice and snow in an extreme climbing wall, which makes it nearly impossible. Uh, but uh, then my climbing mate, Sepp, uh, Sepp is the short form for Joe in German, uh, encouraged me to give it at least a try. And uh, he said to me, hey, Rainer, the weather is good and uh, you are in perfect uh, rock climbing shape. Uh, and I saw you are already very, uh, very uh, good with uh, climbing with crampons. I do have a lot of experience here. If we put our strength together, let's give it a try. The worst thing that could happen that we would be the 16th rope team that uh, wouldn't... Uh, managed to make the climb and we would have to uh, we would have to uh, quit with that he convinced me in uh, the valley to uh, give it a try and uh, when uh, we walked or uh, uh, walked to that mountain or approached the mountain when i saw it from a far distance it was really fascinating such a great line and such a such a beautiful mountain and i think there's someone uh, trying to get in as well uh, and uh, by getting nearer and nearer, this passion got smaller and smaller, I would say. And the, <laughs> I was not sure uh, if I should uh, really uh, 
do this uh, in reality together. 4,200 meters, right? It's 4,200 meters. It's uh, the sheer height of the wall is 1,200 meters, which is about four times the Eiffel Tower. So this is really a mountain. And um, when we reached the last camp, the last hut where we had to make an overnight stay before be, uh, being able to begin the climb, um, my passion was really gone and uh, I only had one hope. Uh, Hopefully the weather forecast was wrong and it would turn out that it was uh, would be raining cats and dogs the next day, but it didn't. And uh, the weather was perfect. And uh, my colleague, Seb, went out to the hut and came back in and said, Ariana, come on, stars are sparkling. And I thought by myself, I will get up now and uh, walk slowly out of the hut and then consider if I would say yes, I continue that climb or just say no because it's too threatening and too dangerous for me. Uh, and this was the moment when I realized um, I couldn't get up. I was paralyzed. Paralyzed with fear, right? With fear. I was lying there in the bed, not able to make any movement. And then it was clear to me I had to make the decision while lying on the bed. And it was an interesting and maybe the most, the most uh, instructing moment of the whole climb and the most defining moment of the whole climb. Because uh, first I asked myself, would I really like to make that climb? The answer was, of course, yes, yes, I would uh, like to be able to say I have done that climb. Yes, I would like uh, to be one of the first in that summer that uh, did it. But it was the wrong question. I really had to talk true to myself. Do I want, do I really want to climb up here? Am I able to climb up here? And uh, am I willing to bring all the effort? And uh, then I began to imagine that climb with those three question and, uh, questions and then something very interesting happened like moving from the left uh, part of the brain to the more uh, right side I really was uh, had the feeling I was embodying the climb I was uh, so in there and uh, I really stayed for a long time while imagining uh, everything in this field of imagination yeah and Suddenly, there was uh, there there was a situation where I saw myself at the last critical passage, and the the image in front of my mental eye was so clear. I, as I had a VR uh, <laughs> set on it, I was feeling I was in there. I saw myself climbing uh, the most difficult uh, passage, and I uh, saw that I had, had perfect body tension. I could manage that, and suddenly it was clear to me: I can do that. I want to do that, and I'm willing to bring all the effort. And suddenly I could move, and this was really for me uh, uh, exciting discovery that we can have a different qualities of goals. Yeah, right. Tell me, uh, let's let's dig into that for a second because I know that it took you once you made the decision to go. I know that it took you two days to actually climb. So for two nights they spent on rock ledges that are literally this wide, right, and um, sort of roped into the mountain so that you so that you don't fall so i understand that um and i understand that for many of us who are on the call today either um virtually meaning we can't see you so you're listening to this afterwards or watching it afterwards or many of you on the screen here we've got to points in our business where we've got so much fear to move forward that we're almost we're paralyzed with fear but then you had this like as you say this virtual reality set that just told you you could do it and suddenly you just felt inspired. What do you think the trigger is for us as people who are not mountain climbers to get past that fear in our own lives, whatever it be for 
from a business perspective, you know, some people don't pitch um, because they're too scared to pitch, but they've got great products. What do you think we can do? I think the, it doesn't matter if you climb a mountain, doing a pitch or doing business in any way. And I'm not talking about uh, wearing pink glasses and just saying, Chaka, anything is possible. <laughs> uh, but really just, uh, it's a question, where do we focus on? What, what is the direction of our attention? And I think when we um, have to make decision and decision-making always, uh, is something uh, about an unknown field so we can't we can't tell uh, exactly before we take the decision what will be the outcome otherwise it would be a calculation but it's not a calculation it's a decision and the outcome is somehow uncertain you don't know that and then we tend to just to, to focus on what could go wrong yeah and just have worst case scenarios and uh, rest with our attention and imagination mainly uh, in this field of uh, worst case scenario, in the field of failure, in the field, uh, in the field of crisis and what will happen. And if we, if we nurture that imagination, we won't take the, uh, take the decision. So uh, I'm not the one uh, that says, put away those, uh, those risks. It's not about that, but it's about really um, enter the field of imagination really in terms of success. Uh, are you able to envision yourself doing it? Are you able to envision yourself uh, being successful? Focus on uh, past successes where you have mastered a, a similar situation. And uh, this is really uh, so important to nurture something, uh, what, uh, what I call in German, Bewältigungsglaube. And uh, if I would translate that uh, in English, I would say this is the faith of being able to cope the faith of being able to master a challenge. Right. You have to nurture that. This is a power. This is not positive thinking. This is not wearing pink glasses. This is just really focusing your attention of uh, possibilities and opportunities uh, on possible solutions, on your strengths, on your uh, peers who might support you, uh, on uh, thinking about colleagues who have mastered uh, a similar challenge that are on the same level like you, they did it. It's not about uh, in, uh, comparing yourself with Steve Jobs or some, yeah, yeah, somebody. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because we've got a couple of comments here and I'll pick yeah. them up. But, you know, years ago, I had the opportunity to speak to one of the greatest all-black fullbacks of all time, uh, Grant, Grant Fox. And um, I asked him why he had been able to kick so many goals. And uh, his comment to me was that, after he finished training, when everybody else left the training pitch, what he would do is he would literally take the ball, he would put it down, he would go back into his position where he would normally kick it, and he would imagine himself, he is a New Zealander, he would imagine himself at Alice Park in, uh, in South Africa with all the crowd booing, throwing stuff, the music playing, the smell of the smoke and everything. And he said, the key to this visualisation and getting everything that's fearful out of your mind is to bring in the five senses of the experience of succeeding. So that when he got to Alice Park, in you know South Africa, and a crowd started booing, throwing stuff, the smoke and the trumpets and everything. He just felt at home, so he'd already lived that experience. So he just felt at home. So 
That's why he was able to kick the ball so straight. Let me pick up a couple of things in the chat here because I think there's some good things here. Yes, that's really a mountain, Dave, for sure. Uh, Andrew says, can I ask Rhino that in your paralysis, how did you know that you could make the climb? I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't know that they can overcome the obstacles because they've never done it before. Yeah, thank you for that question. Well, he says asked and answered, thank you. But let's dig into it a little bit yeah, more. I think it's really about the, the process, and I call this the process from going from wish to will. Wish is uh, mostly, uh, my goal is, yeah. yeah. Wish is mostly the business plan that is on PowerPoint. Um, uh, wish is, uh, it, I would like to have that. But you need to make the process to will and will uh, with will. I don't mind. Uh, I, I don't mean this will of I, I want yeah. to do that. Uh, will uh, shows up in action, and I would like to phrase it with uh, the words of Otto Sharma. He speaks of open will. When you just know this is the right thing to do, and uh, you have to enter the state where you are not able not to do it. Where you're not able not to do it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And you need a process to go there. And the process is really judging, assessing the, uh, the situation. As an entrepreneur, it, is, it would be irresponsible to uh, be blindfolded for the risks and the responsibilities you have in such a, such a situation. But on the other hand, really nurturing uh, this field of imagination uh, this awareness about your own strengths about the resources you have uh, this may be uh, colleagues uh, that support you a network that uh, gives you support uh, these are your own strengths uh, this um, is maybe the situation where you are now uh, are able to to seize an opportunity uh, and i really i uh, would recommend really doing this regularly uh, all the time because if you prepare your uh, mind uh, in that way you're much quicker than uh, others would be in such a moment where an opportunity uh, opens up a window of opportunity is there and it's just about being the first very often absolutely it's it's in many ways it's sort of like airline pilots you know the captain scully uh, who had to land the plane on the hudson river in 2010 I mean, he'd practiced that maneuver goodness knows how many times in his life. So in the split second where he realized that he couldn't make the, he couldn't turn the plane around and contain enough height to land back at Teterboro, he realized his only option was to land it on the Hudson. And he didn't think about that for even more than two seconds. He just said to the tower, you can listen to the recording, he said, we're landing on the Hudson. That was it. So there was nothing there. So um, Philippe says here, is it envisioning or feeling the success? I think it's both, isn't both, it? Both. This is what, what I meant uh, with embodying the whole thing, yeah. uh, Philip. So it's uh, really, it starts logical with imagination, with, uh, uh, with um, a clear image in front of your mental eye, but uh, uh, we, cannot, uh, almost, we cannot hinder uh, ourselves in feeling it when we focus on that uh, with our with our attention. So uh, I think the feeling, uh, the focus, these are interrelated things. Yeah. So in another story from Orion's mountain climbing, which is an earlier story, he gets to a point whereby he realizes that they they just got too much stuff, and you're halfway up the mountain, and you call this um, 
that you and your, your climbing partner, I think it was Seth at the same time, had to literally sit on the side of a mountain and decide what you were going to keep and what you weren't going to keep. And you took the rest of the stuff and threw it off the mountain. And that was the only way, because there was no way he could go back at that point of time because he didn't have enough rope to go back. So the only way he could go was forward, but they were stuck. Now, this happens in business all the time. You call it unpacking your rucksack. Um, tell me, I, I know that with all the companies that you've worked with over all the years, part, unpacking their rucksacks is actually one of the key pivot points to get them going forward. And just for those of you on the call that are Circle of Excellence members, Module 7 in Circle of Excellence is all about decluttering, which is technically unpacking your rucksack because most of us just have too much stuff, too many products, too much this, too much that. Tell us about your views on that. Yeah, I would go, as you have perfectly told the climbing story already. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a perfect story. <laughs> I need not to repeat it, um, uh, what we did on the mountain. Uh, but uh, I think the metaphor of having a rucksack with uh, there are too many things uh, in there uh, because we have failed to put them out. Uh, it's just an er heritage of the past. Yep. Yeah, we have started something and we uh, keep doing it along. We have uh, let it be a software, uh, or how do you call the subscription? Yeah, subscription. Software, so software subscription and the next software subscription and the next software subscription. It's for us as solopreneurs or small uh, entrepreneurs, uh, this might be the, the right thing to uh, to explain it in corporations uh, it's always starting a new project establishing a new process establishing uh, the next thing yeah and putting uh, uh, the next process inside and suddenly the whole company is not able to move anymore so i do really uh, do unpacking workshops with them unpacking uh, workshops yeah unpacking what workshops. happens in an unpacking workshop uh, Mostly, mostly, uh, I would say, main part is that they are realizing they have too much meetings, where too much, uh, too many people, uh, time is fixed, a bit, and they don't know the purpose of the meetings, why they always have to be there, and uh, I really declutter their meeting structure with them. It's the first part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, who has to be there? What's the purpose of the meeting? And suddenly they are able to to uh, use their time they have and we all have the same amount of time in a much more effective way and productive way that's one thing the other thing is really looking at the processes what have we uh, maybe uh, started in the past when it made sense uh, and it it's outdated today yeah and we should just end uh, uh, stop uh, doing this thing just think this is what i do with uh, with uh, um, uh, companies and the third thing i do in those unpacking uh, uh, workshops is also uh, to be very um, very very clear about what to start in the future never start anything what you are not able to nurture with energy all the time this is so, really good yeah. feedback for so, yeah so uh, this is what i do in, in, in workshops and i think what we have to do is really uh, in our in our uh, size of business, uh, not uh, being seduced by every new app, every new trend, every new social media channel, uh, and to, to have the feeling we have to do it all to be successful. 
we have we have to find out what is right for our target group for our clients for our market and focus our energy on a few things we are able really to uh, nurture with energy all the time without burning out absolutely and i think for for all of us on the call all of us are probably doing 50 percent more than we need to and it's superfluous um, or it's outdated and it's really, you know, for those of you that are in the, the professional and personal development space on the call, it's really tough because, you know, this video that we're doing today is fantastic, but it's going to have a shelf life. You know, it's got a shelf life. Everything has a shelf life. And if you're talking about specifics or if you look different, ladies, if you cut your hair, that's a shelf life. Uh, you know, guys, if you put on or take off a few pounds, that's a shelf life as, as well. I have, I want to change track, but let's just go back to a couple of the things here. Mary from Dublin says, the body follows and does what the mind focuses and imagines. That's our superpower. Ben says, we must get rid of excess opportunities, proper goal planning, unpack. That's a great comment, Ben, and I just want to pick that up. Um, we have another video. It's uh, it's already in you know, places you can access it, look at, depending on how you're interacting with us on this. But, you know, for years I've taught um, an opportunities formula. And I just want to repeat it now because, Ben, you've brought it up. And so, so if you've never heard this before, you may want to make a note. So whenever an opportunity is presented to Landy and I, we always say, number one, does it fit our passion and purpose? So if you brought us a Bitcoin opportunity to make a million dollars on Bitcoin, we'd say no, because it doesn't fit our passion and purpose. Number two, can we add value to it in our natural way? So my natural way is being able to speak, present, write about it, create ideas around it, to, you know, um, uh, consult on it, et cetera. Number three is, can we leverage it? So many people go into opportunities that have glass ceilings and then they bang up against the glass ceiling uh, too often. Number four is if it fails, will it sink me? I just think there's so many opportunities around. You don't need to set yourself up for total failure by just jumping into one. Number five is, does it motivate me? That's sort of reforming that question is, would you get out of bed at 4 a.m. in the morning, you know, two days a week to do this because you feel so motivated by it? And the last one is, does the return inspire me? And it doesn't have to be a financial return. It can be a return by because it helps a thousand people or that it, you know, is looking after your child or daughter or something like that. So um, they're the six things in the opportunities formula. Let's go on to Andrew here. He says, uh, Reiner talks about incorrect thinking. This is an idea that I've used in my approach to companies' workplace issues. Could Reiner please expand on how incorrect thinking comes into being, how entrepreneurs can recognize it and how we deal with it? It's an interesting question. Maybe uh, a whole a whole workshop would be necessary to uh, <laughs> develop on, on that. But uh, what I have the feeling is uh, that incorrect uh, uh, thinking comes from really unquestioned beliefs. Unquestioned beliefs uh, that are somehow transferred, transmitted uh, over generations. I'll give you an example of that, right? Um, just so we pick this up. When, when Landy was a child, her mother would bake muffins. And every time she made the muffins and everything, she put them in the muffin tray and then she'd have the oven on, then she'd open the oven and then she'd get two fingers and pop them into the top of each muffin. 
and put them in. Landy watched her do this as like a seven or eight year old. And she said, mum, why do you do that with the muffins? She said, I don't know. My grandmother used to do it. Yeah, definitely. So that's could be an example of an incorrect belief. You know, the only reason that train tracks are four feet, eight inches wide is because that's the width of a chariot in Pompeii. And so they thought if chariots were stable, they make when they started trains, they'll make them that way. But train track could be any sort of gauge wide. So what are you seeing in terms of what we do, meaning the entrepreneur community, that could be an incorrect belief? And then as Andrew says, how could we deal with it? Yeah, uh, I, th I think, um... I think the first step is really uh, to uh, be clear about one thing, not to take our beliefs for granted. Just um, acknowledging that our beliefs are beliefs and they might be wrong. It's the first thing. And what I uh, have um, discovered so far, it doesn't make any sense to try to argue over beliefs or trying to convince other people's over beliefs or um, thinking about our beliefs as a just uh, cognitive construct um, because it's very often it's uh, tied to experiences we've made to emotions we had while um, working with that belief so it just makes us safe and what uh, my way to uh, shatter those uh, belief systems is is just making new experiences tapping into new fields where something completely different happens what you didn't expect and then you begin then you begin to think hey was i wrong yeah i thinking that you're absolutely right sometimes we get asked um how come you guys seem to know so much about things and and the answer is we're just more exposed than the average person. We're like, here we are today, and you know, I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm getting exposure, then I've been talking to others over the last couple of days, and the next time we're over here, and then we're over here. Most people tend to, it's a bit of Groundhog Day. They do the same thing time and time again, so their exposure is not as wide. The second thing that that, that brings to me is environment as well. If your environment is always sitting in the same place, looking at a white wall in front of you, then you know your creativity is going to diminish, and you're going to get stuck in the same patterns. Um, okay, I just want to uh, I just want to shift state a little bit now with the with the interview. So prior to COVID, um, Reiner was traveling the world, consulting, speaking with large corporations, you know, household brands. Um, the people that you would know very, very well, and it was very much in demand. And, you know, I think you had one of your best years in 2019 and, and, um, and then 2020 came, COVID. So because you didn't have an online strategy at all, really, at that stage, basically everything could shut down for you. So this is where you had to change your thinking. This is where you had to become a product of what you're sharing and teaching. And I think you've done that probably better than almost anybody else I know. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you were and the journey and where you are now? <clears throat> and maybe we start uh, with uh, your first remark that I was uh, having no online strategy. So I was not only not having an online strategy, I was an opponent uh, of uh, virtual work. I was an opponent, a resistor, um, of all online activities because I thought at uh, that time my real value, my um, impact is really depending on being present, on being in the same room with other people. I couldn't 
I didn't believe uh, that uh, that uh, online work would really work. Uh, and when the pandemic hit, uh, my really uh, well-filled uh, calendar was empty at that moment. Uh, and what was even uh, what put more pressure on me was the fact that I bought a piece of uh, land, a piece of land, and uh, asked the bank for a big loan for a for a house. And suddenly, uh, my calendar was empty, and that meant in that moment, hey, uh, no money would come in to um, to pay back that loan. And I was really shocked for three days, like paralyzed, like on yep. uh, on the mountain hut. Uh, but then I said, hey, Rainer, come on. You are talking about those challenging situations to your <laughs> clients. Now you're in. Yeah? <laughs> so, <laughs> you, have to, you have to embrace that situation. Yeah? And I didn't have no clue. But what helped me out was making a promise to myself. And this really works. It's maybe much more energizing and motivating and strengthening that having a goal mm. making just a promise to myself and i uh, said to myself i don't know which direction to go and how it will work but i make my promise to myself i will do everything from now on to be able to say when the whole shit sorry to say that is over and i would look back to that situation to be able to t uh, say then this was one of the greatest responses of my professional life. You, and I just want to repeat that because it's so profound. You made a decision at that point of time that your reaction to the pandemic and what it was doing to your business would be one of the greatest moments of your life. Yeah. How cool is that when you think about that, folks, that, you know, you're, you're faced with this and you make that decision that, this adversity that most other people, well, most, a lot of other people just lay down and cried, um, basically was going to be a defining moment in your life. And there are critical moments in your life. I mean, you know, we used to talk about critical moments. I did a talk many years ago where the reason I know that Captain Scully story where he turned the plane landed on the Hudson is because that's a critical moment. That critical moment where he made that decision to land that plane on a river rather than trying to turn it around saved every single person on that plane with no injuries it's that's the critical moments that define you as a human being so what did you do so first thing uh for me was clear as i have no clue i need to reach out to other people i just put together a mastermind right i put together a mastermind from some folks that had some experience in that field of online work that I could nurture with other experience I had in terms of business models and so on. We put together a mastermind of five people and just, I really took all the, 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 the knowledge from them, from what they had in terms of online work and just started to invest. I started to invest and said, hey, no, everybody now is holding back and not spending money if this everybody does. Uh, the whole system will crash. I will make my contribution by now spending money. I hopefully will get back money that soon. you didn't have. <laughs> yeah, money yeah. that I hopefully will get yeah, back yeah, yeah. Uh, soon. And I just um, made the first step to a professional home studio and to to online presentations that made a difference uh, in terms of not um, doing screen sharing and being a, a small Blob. small uh, small window on the side of the shared PowerPoint slide. This was the one thing. The second thing I did uh, was uh, the logic 
consequence of the first thing, I thought by myself, my clients, they are in the same situations. Uh, and uh, I want to pro provide them a platform to get in exchange uh, with each other uh, across companies to people they don't know that could help them. And I started to offer my clients uh, one glass of wine online. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, glass of wine online. Uh, two to three, every two to three weeks online session and how, how are you dealing with the situation? What could we do? What do I do? Uh, are you doing now to bring your, your uh, people to remote work and uh, having them not desperately at home, but productive and uh, just facilitated that, uh, uh, that uh, exchange. And it brought it immediately, it brought a business to me. I said, hey, Rainer, what do you do for us? Do this for our companies. Yeah, amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It was just to finish that. No, no, please. After six years, after six weeks uh, of more or less having no business, and that was the time when I wrote the Masters of Uncertainty book. Yep. <laughs> uh, the business started again, and uh, 2020 was much more successful than 2019 in the end. Yeah. yeah so there, there you have it. That was going to be my question, actually. I was going to say, you know, financially, 2020 for Rhino was so much better than 2019, which was like his best year to date. And 2021 wasn't too bad either, right? Uh, it was again 25% uh, uh, plus. 25% plus over, over 2019, over 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the other things that, that Rhino did, and I wish I had it to show you, but I, I don't here, um, is uh, he took on some advice from us and did a coffee table book, Masters of Uncertainty. Um, half in German, half in English, combining um, the, the mountain stories and the mountain philosophies with some of his business philosophies and organizational philosophies. And I think it's 280 something pages of a coffee table book. And it's, you know, it's great size, coffee table book, proper coffee table book. What about, I just want to share, if you can, the experience of you had a big client you had in 2019 that you'd landed. And right at the start of the pandemic, or just after the start of the pandemic, they had to renew, right? And you delivered some coffee table books, and you were worried whether they renew or not. Maybe just share that story. Uh, so I decided to make this coffee table book on the one hand because it was an old dream to just uh, come out with a book, publish a book that is not so business oriented, very inspirational, with a lot of uh, with a lot of images inside of mountain climbing, short uh, short uh, inspirational stories, uh, not necessarily uh, one uh, flow of thought through it, but uh, a common theme: how to manage un 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 uncertainty. And I was really thankful uh, to get that push from you in our mastermind in France to do so. And uh, when there was no business in the pandemic, it was clear for me, uh, write it as quick as possible. You don't know when business will come back. And now it's the time uh, to do so. So I did so and I uh, decided to make it on my own to do the whole investment on my own, not to give it to uh, a publisher, because I wanted to create it really on my own design it on my own. And I printed uh, on my own cost, uh, about a thousand uh, pieces of them. And uh, my aim was not uh, to land a bestseller worldwide, although I have also a print-on-demand version on, uh, with, by Ingram Spark. You can find it on, uh, on Amazon. It's not that quality. I really printed um, 
thousand pieces of the executive edition yep. and uh, also made a perfect box uh, for this book Beautiful. out of, of, out of uh, uh, hard paper or how, uh, cardboard. You know, car yep. cardboard, cardboard, uh, how you call it, ecological cardboard was very important for you with a magne uh, magnetically open so that when my clients would get that box with the book inside, they would have the same feeling like uh, unwrapping uh, uh, Apple product. Right. I, I wanted to give them that's a good idea. I wanted to give them an experience that is really smooth when they get it. Wow. And I knew really doing this whole project and printing those 1,000 copies that the most important fraction of these books, the most important pieces would be the 100 pieces I would hand over as a present to my clients. And it, it paid off in many ways. Yeah, I think they that's just the renewed, thing. Yeah. Yeah, they renewed and it was a, well, I think you could say that their renewal amount, if I remember, would have more than paid for the printing of the books 10 times over. So, um, so well done on that one. But I think that this is a thing, if you look at this, Reiner has invested heavily in himself and his beliefs for what he's doing at times where most other people would go, we need to shut up shop. We need to restrain, like, you know, we're going to build a new house. We're going to invest heavily in a studio. And then we're going to do the coffee table book. But that wasn't all because then he took it one step further. And I think you would be a pioneer of this. Uh, you were the, certainly the first person I'd heard of. I've, a couple of other people since I've heard of in investing in holographic technology. So maybe just share for uh, the people on the call, holographic technology in terms of uh, in what way would you use it and uh and what's that experience been for for you like now that we're going back to more of a face-to-face -face type of environment yeah so uh end of 2020 um a speaker agent and friend of mine approached me and said uh Reiner, i will start a, a project with a few speakers uh, because I believe in the summer of uh, 2021, uh, business uh, in-person meetings will come back. He was wrong, <laughs> but um, <laughs> he, he said that to me. Uh, uh, it will come back, and there will be there will be fewer events, but they were, uh, were the meeting planners will look for really extraordinary presentations, and that's why I want to start the project hologram speakers with uh, five speakers and I would like to have you uh, as part of this group. And for me, it was just a moment where I was not able not to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just I immediately said, uh, uh, it, sounds, it sounds great. I want to be one of the, bar, uh, the first ones. Uh, yeah. And what is a, holograph, a hologram presentation is nothing else than the PowerPoint presentations with a lot of video stuff in it. And it, it is projected by a heavy projector on a so-called uh, Gaze, we call it in, in, uh, in uh, Germany. It's uh, more or less uh, a tool of the theater. Yep. It's a, a transparent curtain in front of you. So you have a screen uh, in front of you and uh, there are black parts uh, of, uh, the, of the slides where you are able to shine through uh, this, uh, this uh, curtain. So you have uh, the illusion that there are three-dimensional three dimensional things in the room suddenly. Yeah? And this was fascinating for me to bring some mountain feeling to the... Uh, 
to my presentations to my to in-person events uh, and i worked for on that for i think uh half a year it was an invest invest of about twenty five thousand euro uh, and it changed my thinking about presentations i don't think about presentations any longer for me it's productions productions yeah it's productions mm. and uh, what was really uh, great uh, that I had feeling I have just utilized maybe 20 to 25 percent of the technology up to now. When I did my uh, first in-person uh, keynote, hologram keynote, on the annual convention of the German Speakers Association in last September 2021, the audience was blown away. Although it was just a first step, yeah. And this really fueled me up to uh, to continue with the work on that. And what then happened? Um, one of the audience uh, came to me uh, came to me and said, "Hey, Rainer, uh, do you know you can do that online as well? Uh, I do have a software. <laughs> what you can do that?" And I started immediately to to do so and investing again in another software, a little bit of different equipment in my home studio. And now I'm able to do the same thing on my home studio. Fantastic. And what the best thing is, we all know uh, that uh, somehow the online thing is a little bit under price pressure in terms yep. of presentations. They always ask, yeah, but you don't need to travel. Uh, we won't pay the same, uh, the same fee for your keynote if you don't travel. Uh, I have no price problems. And I, I, tell you, I tell you my strategy to do so because this really works out very well. Maybe you can use that. Uh, when uh, clients approach me for a virtual uh, presentation, they ask me always, are you available that date and how's your fee? I always respond in that way. Um, I, might be, I, I could uh, manage the, the, the day being available for you, uh, but to decide uh, if it's a good fit and talk about the fee, I want to have an online um, call with you. And then I ask them uh, my questions for the briefing for the for the the whole thing, and then they uh, ask inevitably the question: and How uh, do you do this online presentation? And what I do before is sampling, building up the whole setup, and then I start my my hologram presentation, and suddenly. You see that on the other <laughs> side because uh, some some uh, some things are on the screen they didn't uh, expect. I want to have that. Yeah. They never ask about the price. No. I get my I get my price, and this really works out fantastically. So the greatest thing for me was a byproduct of the whole hologram presentation. Honestly, spoken in for in-person events, I have uh, sold one since, since then, and this is for May 2023. Mm. I have done. Tens of uh, of online hologram presentations and then for the full fee. So, so the byproduct was the most uh, most important thing, and I could not could not have known that before. And the other beautiful thing about that is you can control it so much more in your home studio yeah. than you can in some venue yeah. that you're you're turning up to. Let's start bringing this to a close. So let's just recap here. So, firstly, in no particular order, we have to unpack where we are at the moment in order to to move forward. For many of us, if we're feeling a bit stuck at the moment, we're, we're carrying too much dead weight. So, so that's what we've learned in, in unpacking. Secondly, we've also learned that, you know, it's quite normal that at points of time in our career that fear will paralyze us. But um, it's not about a wish, it's about a will. 
and the difference between the wish and the will is important and embodying the, the visualization of moving forward from not only visual, but all aspects of the experience is what's going to get you off the couch and get you moving forward. And I think the, the third thing that I've really learned today is the same thing that you learn if you've ever done any financial planning courses is when the market's going down, you buy and when the market's going up, you sell. And so what Reiner did is when the market was going down, he invested and he took he took calculated risks. They weren't big risks, but they were calculated risks. Um, and the fourth thing, which is you haven't said, but it's it's underpinned here, is that when you know that you're actually good at something, when you know that you've been doing this, you know, because we've all got anxieties and fears, me too. And, I, and Landy always says the same thing to me. She says, Mike, you've made it this far in life. You've got everything you, you have. How many times have you had a monster setback that's turned it into, you know, crap? And I go, well, never, right? I've had plenty of setbacks, but nothing's ever, it never downed me. So why would you think that this next thing we're going to do is be like that? Let's just go for it, right? And let's learn from it. I think that's the thing is so many people are scared to um, just get outside of that little box that they're in and get out into just the, the uncomfort zone. But it's the uncomfort zone that spreads your comfort zone because the more you get into that uncomfort zone, when you first climbed your first mountain, you had no idea whether you were going to fall off it and die or get to the top. Now you look at it and it's, it's just a process that you've done a thousand times. Um, and now you're taking your kids out mountain climbing basically. And, and they're both under 10 years old. So it's that process. I want to sort of finish up and just ask if there's any questions that anybody would like to ask of Reiner um, that may be for themselves or you can either pop it in the chat or just raise your hand and we'll do that. Otherwise, we're going to wrap up and uh, and thank Reiner for really what has been very, very motivational, not only for you guys, but also for me as well. And a good, um, a good reminder of how to do things right and very, very simply as well. So with that... Uh, I'm not seeing, uh, Diane says thanks, I'm not seeing too many hands up there. So we're going to take that as a wrap and we're going to let Reiner go and, and, and pack his bags. Dave says, fantastic session. Thank you so much, Dave. And um, all the very best. Ian's clapping. Thanks, Ian, for that. Ben, lovely to see you again. Andrew, great to see you and everybody else online. Stephanie, lovely to see you as well. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week. I think you've got me next week, so be prepared for that. And we'll catch you all later. Bye-bye. Thank you all. Bye bye. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Thanks, guys.